coming into our series, the well, not coming into, we are in our series, we're in the middle of our series, The Great Reset, and you're probably um, just like mind explosion at the moment, which is everything that you're learning. And I just encourage you, church, just to hold in, stay in there um, for the ride, because, you know, this stuff can be really difficult to hear sometimes. But it's really important to hear it because it's the reality of our world. And we can't close our eyes and block our ears and say, no, 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 I'm not listening. It's not happening. Because the fact is, whether you believe it or not, whether you choose to listen or not, it's going to happen anyways. And so you actually have to wake up. Like that scripture says, awake, O sleep, arise from dead, like Christ shine His light on you. You know, we've got to actually wake up, wake up our eyes and actually do those things, things that God has called us to do. He's called us to wake up, be aware of what's going on in our world and to act in it. So for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Ash. I'm the youth and kids pastor here. Um, you'll see me every now and then, but a lot of time I'm out there with the kiddos. So I'm in here today. So thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, so the Great Reset. So we're just going to start by looking at the um, book of Matthew. Oh, I'll tell you my topic for today. So um, a couple of weeks back, you may remember, I talked about the issue of pride and I focused on the LGB of the LG. I'll give you the long version today. Um, it's long, I can't remember it off by heart. But today we're going to break it down into the other end of the alphabet um, thing today. So we're going to turn to the book of Matthew 18, verse 5 to 6. And it says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I just wanted to start with that scripture because. There's two topics that I'm most passionate about more than any other issue in this world that's going on right now. And one of them is abortion. And the other one is this long line, which I tell you, I just cannot remember. Eyes are off the heart, LGBT, HRJKLMNOP. So um, these two issues are so close to my heart that I'm so passionate about. And why am I so passionate about it is because these two issues more than anything affect children and I target children. Abortion obvious is obvious. It kills, takes the life of innocent babies. 80 million is the statistics worldwide yearly now um, of children that are dying by abortion. And the second one is transgenderism and, and the LGBT everything because you know what it's doing? It's robbing children of the life that God has called them to. And we're at a stage now where we're actually injecting hormones into children. We are mutilating their bodies before they've even hit, barely hit puberty and they don't even know who they are yet. And it's too late, their life is over in terms of the way that they're treating these young children. And so I'm incredibly passionate about this. And this is why I wanted to read this scripture to you because it says it would, if you cause one of these little ones um, to, stump, to sin, or in other words, it actually also says to stumble. If you cause them to go down these path, it is better for you. It is better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the sea. And I 100% agree with that word because how dare we, you know, defy the innocence of little children? How dare we destroy their lives? And my next scripture I want to read to you before we start is Ephesians 4 verse 26 to 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And why I wanted to read that again is because the Bible does not say, do not be angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. So it's actually okay to be angry. We should be angry. There's nothing worse than an apathetic Christian. 
There's nothing worse than an apathetic believer who looks at the sin and the evil in this world and shrugs their shoulder and puts their hands up and say, not my problem. There's nothing worse than that. We should be angry. This stuff makes my blood boil. But when we hear these things, we should be angry and not sin. We should let God take that anger and let God take our anger and turn it into a burning passion for the lost, for the hurting and for the broken. We should turn that anger and turn it into actually action, turning it into doing something. Do not sin in your anger. Do not give place to the devil, but give place to God in your anger to allow you to actually bring justice into this world, to actually right these wrongs, to actually do something about what's happening. So I just want to fire you up this morning about this stuff because I'm sick and tired and I'm not saying this is, our church is actually really good at this, but I'm sick and tired of hearing Christians say, that's really hard, I don't want it, but I don't want to listen to it, it's too much for me. It's too hard for me to listen to, we cannot be like that. Because like I said at the beginning, is when we hear these things, regardless of whether we want to listen or not, whether we want to do something or not, they're still happening. And And so so it's better better that we we don't block our ears and we allow this injustice to go and we allow these children to be hurt. It is better that we unblock our ears, we hear the hard things that we need to hear, the realities that we need to hear, and then we actually do something about it. So what is transgenderism? So I want to take you to the DSM-5, the 2020 revision. Um, Thank you, Caitlin, for... uh, Remind, uh, letting me know there was a 2020 revision. Um, but the DSM-5 is the... Di- oh, wait. Mm, I wrote it down and now I have lost it. It's the diagnosis... Anyway, basically. So... <laughs> There we go, Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. So this is what uh, psychiatrists use to diagnose mental conditions in patients. And it also helps them to, I guess, prescribe medication or whatever it is that they're gonna do. So I looked up in the DSM-5, thank you to the uni library, um, so I don't have to pay for it, because it's like, yeah, no one wants to pay for that. Um, (laughs) It's a load of rubbish anyways. Um, But the DSM-5, so I looked up gender dysphoria. This is the diagnostic criteria for gender dysphoria in children. It says a marked incongruence between one's experience and expressed gender and assigned gender of at least six months duration as manifested by at least six of the following, one of which um, must be criterion A1. So a strong desire to be of the other gender or an insistence that one is the other gender or some alternative gender different from one assigned gender. Number two, in boys assigned gender, a strong preference for cross-dressing or stimulating female attire or in girls assigned gender, a strong preference for wearing only typical masculine clothing and a strong resistance to the wearing of typical feminine clothing. Number three, a strong preference for cross-gender roles in make-believe play or fantasy play. Number four, a strong preference for the toys, games or activities stereotypically used or engaged in by the other gender. Number five, a strong preference for playmates of the other gender. Number six, in boys assigned gender, notice this common theme, assigned gender, a strong rejection of typically masculine toys, games and activities and a strong avoidance of rough and tumble play. Or in girls assigned gender, a strong rejection of typically feminine toys, games and activities. Number seven, a strong dislike of one's sexual anatomy. Number eight, a strong desire for the primary and or secondary sex characteristics that match one's experienced gender. B, the condition is associated with clinically significant distress or impairment in social school or other important areas of functioning. So, 
I really want to look, look at, at that, that because, because I don't, I don't know, know about you, but there's, there's probably a lot of us in that room that, that could be diagnosed under that criteria. I know for myself, I could tell you, I could probably hit almost every single one of these. Let's go through this with my childhood and how I grew up as a young girl. I want a strong desire to be of the other agenda and agenda and an assistance on it. I didn't say it to my parents, but in myself as a young prepubescent child, is that all I wanted to do, I wanted to be just like my dad. Everyone used to tell me all the time, you are just like your dad, you look just like your dad. If I looked at photos of me and my dad when we were kids, we literally looked the same. Like I looked just like my dad. And, and so, and I remember, I even prayed this prayer because I thought, because I was different to my sisters, even though we like, we get mistaken for triplets, the three of us. But I was different to my sisters because they were a bit more girly and they were a bit more like softer and I was a bit more aggressive and whatever. And so I was like, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. And so I thought that, and I remember used to pray to God. I used to pray to God and go like, God, why did you make me a girl? You know I'm a boy. These are the kind of prayers that I pray to God. So, so, so I've, I've already met one of the criteria. criteria. Number two is a strong preference for cross-dressing. Who has actually worn the opposite gender's clothes before? Who's ever worn their brother or their sister or their mum and their dad's clothes and it's not your gender clothes? Yeah. Who's ever done that before? I had one of my best friends growing up. He, he had an older sister and he just loved to put on her skirts because he thought it's hilarious. He's like, this is so weird. He's like, it's so airy. <laughs> That's what he used to do all the time. And... um. It's, it's so funny, but that's what we used to do. We used to walk around in our dad's shoes all the time because we just loved wearing them because they were so big. We used to love dressing up um, in, in, in um, men's clothes because it's different to what you're normally used to wearing. Number three, a strong preference for cross-gender roles in make-believe or fantasy play. You know, every single role until year 12 that I got casted in school was a male's role. Every, Every single role, because they were like, you're just so good at putting on the male voice and like, you know, doing all the like mannerisms and everything. So they're like, we'll always put you in the role. And they were always funnier roles too. So I didn't mind. But that was my favorite thing to do. I didn't want the pretty feminine, you know, boring hero in the story. I wanted the weird character. I wanted the funny one. I wanted to play them. And they were always male. So I was always cast as the male roles. And when I played even make-believe you know, when, when you play mums and dads and stuff, I never wanted to be the mum. I said, mum, I don't want to be the mum. That's a boring role. I'm going to be the dog. Or, <laughs> and if I couldn't be the dog and I had to choose, then I'd always be the dad. I was like, all right, you know, because it's just so funny to put on your deep voice, you know. Or right, I'm the dad. How's it going? You know. And um, number four, a strong preference for toys, games or activities, activities stereotypically used or engaged in by the other gender. A lot of my best friends growing up were boys. And you know my favourite thing to do was? Was to play with my friend's Action Man dolls and his trucks and his cars. It was so fun because we didn't have those toys at home. And so every time I'd get around my guy friends, I always would want to play with their trucks and, and you know, like put them up the, the hot wheels, up the ramps and stuff. Like it was just the best. It was so good. I used to think I could be like a skater, a skateboarder as well, because all my guy friends did skateboarding. So I got a skateboard, so it was pretty cool. Uh, was just not talented at all, could not do it. <laughs> Number five, a strong preference for playmates of the other gender. Like I said, a lot of my friends were boys. My best friends all through like probably... Um, yeah, yeah for most of my, like, previous present years were, were, were boys. And, and even into my early teenage years. years. Because, because they, I just got along better with them. A lot of the girls were just serious drama. <laughs> and so I had a strong preference for friends of the other gender. And I still had girlfriends, but, yeah, I preferred to hang out with the boys. And I was always called one of the boys, you know. So I was like, yeah. Mm. Um, so number six, um, 
It says, in girls, a strong rejection of typically feminine toys, games and activities. I didn't want to play with makeup. All my friends were playing with makeup. I didn't want to wear nail polish. I didn't want to do all those things. So I rejected those things. I was like, ew, that's gross. Like, let's not do that. A strong dislike of one's sexual anatomy. What kid goes through puberty and is actually happy with their body? What kid has ever gone through puberty and the entire time has been like, Oh, oh, this, this is great. great. I, I love, love this. This, this is, is so fun. fun. <laughs> you know, puberty is the most uncomfortable, awkward experience of your life. And the worst part is like, you're just lucky if you're one of those people that go through it quickly. Like when it just extends out over you and it's just like, I love that about my school is that instead of having junior school and high school, we had junior school, middle school and high school. And I always used to say middle school was the place where they stuck all the kids going through puberty. So then by the time we hit high school, then we would all be like over that face. So then we could all just be awkward together. And we had no one but the other awkward kids to compa- compare ourselves to. So then we didn't feel so insecure. And then we could like, you know, blossom into our high school years. But honestly, that, that, that's just such a normal, normal thing. And number eight, a strong desire for the primary and or secondary sex characteristics to match one's experience gender. So the same thing, like, you know, when I was a young person, I was like, I don't want to go through puberty. Like, I want to be like dad. I want to be able to walk around in my boxer shorts all day. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are just really, really normal things. And that's what's so scary, isn't it? It's so normal. Like any one of you, like I said, I pretty much meet that entire criteria growing up as a young kid. And that was not just a momentary thing. That was for several years of my life that that I went through that. And I was like, and I'm so thankful for my parents. And I'm so thankful that this ideology wasn't around them. But I know my parents wouldn't have been crazy enough to fall into it. But I'm so thankful that my parents were just like, she's a tomboy, we'll let her go, you know? And then eventually you come into being comfortable in your gender and you work it out. And there's still even traits in my life that I would still be like, I don't still like some of those feminine things. And that's totally okay. You know, that's actually totally okay. You don't have to like everything feminine to be a female and you don't have to like everything masculine to be a male. And, and this is just, oh, this is just what's so frustrating. So then the next slide is the gender dysphoria in adolescents and adults. And it's pretty much a very, very similar situation. So this is really scary because this is what professionals have, so-called professionals have to diagnose children. And on this criteria, it tells us, um, oh, actually that's coming up in the next slides. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it tells us um, in, on Psychiatry Online in this DSM-5 that gender-affirming treatments are medical procedures, hormones or surgeries or both that aim to align an individual's physical characteristics with their experienced gender. So what's experienced gender was just what we talked about, is if you don't feel comfortable in your body, if you're displaying stereotypical traits of the opposite sex, then suddenly your gender doesn't match your body. And we're going to give you hormones and surgeries. We're going to give you gender-affirming treatments. Gender identity is a category of social identity and refers to an individual's identification as male, female, some category in between, or a category other than male or female, gender-neutral. There has been a proliferation of gender identities in recent years. Gender dysphoria is a general descriptive term uh, refers to the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. Transgender refers to the broad spectrum of individuals whose gender identity is different from their birth assigned gender. Again, the word assigned, really got to be aware of the language. Cisgender describes individuals whose gender expression is congruent with their birth assigned gender. 
Transsexual historical term denotes an individual who seeks, is undergoing or has undergone a social transition from male to female or female to male, which in many but not all cases also involves a somatic transition by gender-affirming hormone treatment and genital breast or other gender-affirming surgery, historically referred to as sex reassignment surgery. Wow. So basically on that criteria, it's, it's even, even worse, worse than when they, when they just give out drugs, drugs like, like they're candy. candy. You know, it's even worse than that when they diagnose someone with depression or anxiety. And I'm not going against anyone here today that that's gone through that. But do you know, like, recently that there's a study that came out because they'd been saying since the 60s that it was about serotonin and a chemical imbalance in the brain that was causing depression. And someone actually only recently was able to do the study to actually expose that they'd just been hanging on that study since the 1960s, which was flawed. And actually the truth was that that's not the case at all. It's not a chemical imbalance, but it's about the circumstances in an individual's life that affect their brain and people need to actually have, um, have yeah, just, just uh, oh, I can't think of what the word is. Like therapy, basically. People need to help work through those circumstances, those situations in their life to help them come to a place of healing. But it's not the drugs. And they actually showed the studies that the drugs don't actually do anything. And, and that scares, scares me immensely because I know many people's lives who've been destroyed throughout. I have many friends who, who got completely ruined by being on antidepressants and things like that. And they, they, they luckily they let go of that and they said they got so much better after that. And a lot of them, it was actually making them more depressed. But I think of stuff like this. It's still in its early days and they are prescribing drugs to children. And this is going to be the same thing, isn't it? Except it's going to be far worse because where does this go? This goes to people actually chopping off their body parts and destroying their lives. It's unbelievable. And I just want to note here as well, I can't spend too much time on the intersex condition, but it talks about somewhere in between. I've listened to a lot of stories of people who are intersex and that's not the case, you know, and that's not the, that's not the science behind it either. Intersex is not some ambiguous thing. It's not some other gender. It's, it's not, not some, it's, it's not, not like, like this non-binary condition or anything like that. You know what intersex is? It's just, just, it's just a medical condition. condition. It's a medical condition. And, and, and the, at the most, I've heard a story of a guy who, um, not, well, it wasn't a guy, that, I'm not actually sure how they identify because this person actually has XX and XY chromosomes. They have an incredibly rare condition. So they're actually both male and female. But there's, he's both, um, they're both male and female, but they're not neither. They're, They're both male and female. There's only two. There's, There's male and female. And, and all these intersex people, they identify as either male or female. And the chromosomes say that. And their body say that. And there's just ambiguous genitalia and things like that and conditions in their body. And a lot of these, most of these people have to medicate themselves to actually function normally in their biological um, sex. So this is, the, this is the thing. It's not some... Some, some random thing, thing. It's, it's, it's actually just a medical condition, condition. it's not, not another gender, gender. but I can't spend too much time on that, but that's something that you should look up as well, because don't be fooled into that one, that's like, that's like the scapegoat that people like to use to try and say that there's multiple genders. But yeah, this is, this is, this is really serious and this is really scary stuff. So where did this all come from? I just want to give a little bit of a warning before I go into this. I'm trying to stay as surface as possible without going too into the deep dive. If you want to have the real, real deep dive, come see me afterwards. 
but um, just some of this stuff may be a bit sensitive for anyone, um, so just I'm just letting you know in advance. So where did this all come from? So we're going to introduce you to a guy called Dr. John William Money. So he was a psychologist and a sexologist. He was a leader in the separation of gender and sex. So really, um, I think that was actually one woman that was sort of a feminist that sort of introduced the concept briefly before him. But up until that point, really, sex and gender were synonymous words and were used interchangeably. Um, he believed that gender was a social construct determined by upbringing and exposure to masculinity and femininity. He argued that nurture overrides nature. So he argued that he could nurture people basically into whatever that gender role was and it was not related um, to their sex whatsoever. So Dr John William Money was a sick man and sick and twisted. This was his um, first, if you go to the next slide, this was his first um, experiment and most famous was on two young boys. Bruce um, and um, Brian, uh, I think it was Brian. Oh no, where did it go? Yeah, Brian. Um, yeah, Bruce, Bruce had a botched circumcision. So the two boys got circumcised as babies. They were twin brothers. And because of his botched circumcision, they took him to John Money to find out what to do. And they actually decided they would turn him into a girl and they would raise him as a girl. And so Bruce was raised as Brenda and he was never told his real identity for the purpose of Dr. Money's experiment of nature versus nurture. Now, the, the really disturbing thing about this story is under this guise of I'm this doctor and I'm conducting this experiment, I'm a professional. What he actually did to these two young boys is he brought them into his office on a regular basis and he had them undress in front of him and perform sexual acts on each other. And he took photos of them as well. So, so they, they were sexually, sexually abused by this man under the guise of an experiment. experiment. This, this is the one, this is one of the men that are still quoted and are still promoted as the founder of the gender ideology, this sick and twisted pedophile. It's disgusting. And so Bruce still rebelled against the nurture and he took on very masculine traits and behaved as a male. He transitioned back to male when he discovered the truth in his teenage years and later um, both brothers actually died um, from suicide. So Brian died from a drug overdose and Bruce from suicide at age 36 and 38 respectively. So it's a shocking, tragic story and, they did, and obviously it was obviously linked to the abuse, the severe abuse that they suffered in their childhood and the trauma that was caused to them. But this man, this man is actually still, I literally was looking up articles this week and seeing people say, oh yeah, he's known for some like bad things, but aren't we so glad that he just like created this gender? No, he's a sick and twisted man. Don't listen to a word that he says. And another sick and twisted individual is Dr. Alfred Kinsey. If you haven't heard of Kinsey, um, you really need to hear about Kinsey because he is celebrated in universities everywhere. He was actually a zoologist and he studied human sexual behaviour. He was an incredibly sexually perverted man. Like I said, I'm not going to go into details of what he was like, but he was absolutely off his rocket discussing human being. Um, he hired pedophiles though as part of his research. So he did these um, so-called explosive research um, about the sexual behaviour of the male, um, human male and the human female and delivered these books. And he, part of his research is he actually conducted, got hired pedophiles to sexually abuse children and to record their findings of what they did to these children. Absolutely disgusting things. And I've listened to testimonies of some of these children and what happened to them um, by friends and family members and these evil men. And it is just horrifying.
and this was the research that was used to conduct his experiments about sexuality. Kinsey said that whatever people want to do sexually, if there's mutual consent, it was fine with him. Now, I want you to remember that when we come to something later, because this is the foundations of this whole ideology, is sick and twisted, perverted people who want to sexualize and exploit children. This is where it's come from. So the attempt to distort sex and gender in every possible way, to twist it and eventually sever it from the truth, this is what they want. They want to distort it and twist it and eventually sever it. And you notice the language keeps changing. They're trying to sever truth and reality, you know, they're trying to sever the truth and trying to um, make their own reality so that any desire they wish to fulfil becomes permissible as there is no longer a grounding in truth, but only what is relevant or good in the eyes of the individual. And you'll see this in the, in in the, the media, media and the news at the moment. moment. We're, We're seeing kids going to drag queen story time and drag queen in clubs. And, and I'm like, I know friends that go to drag queen clubs. So that's not a wholesome place for a child to be. Like I've seen it on my friends' stories and stuff before. I'm like, that is not a wholesome, they are adult entertainers. It is a sexualized industry. Children should be nowhere near drag queens or anything of that sort. It, it, and, and this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to be like, it's fine. You know, we're just exposing children. You should, you should see some of the news if you haven't already in the, the story books in the library that they're pulling out of schools in America. And I don't doubt there's here, but the Americans are just much better at getting onto this stuff and exposing it. But they've got, they've got books in their schools which are teaching kids on how to have sex with adults and how to um, have sex with people of their own gender and all this kind of stuff. And it is so absolutely disgusting and perverted what they're trying to brainwash and teach children and sexualize them. They're trying to twist and distort the truth. They're trying to sever the truth from reality so that they can make it whatever they want and they can harm children. So what does it look like today? I just want to be really, really careful just as well that I'm not talking about trans individuals when I talk about these sick and twisted, perverted people. Those are the victims of this ideology. There is, there is some sick and twisted people who are peddling this and are hurting these people and harming these people and dragging them into it on their way, but they are not They are not the culprits. They are the victims as well. So please do not take it as, as I'm saying um, that. So what does it look like today? So um, an incredible book called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier says that gender dysphoria, formerly known as gender identity disorder, is characterised by a severe and persistent discomfort in one's biological sex. It typically begins in early childhood, ages two to four, although it may grow more severe in adolescence. But in most cases, nearly 70% of childhood gender dysphoria resolves. Historically, it afflicted a tiny sliver of the population and almost exclusively boys. Before 2012, in fact, there was no scientific literature on girls aged 11 to 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. So that's really, really important to note is a few things there is that nearly 70% of childhood gender dysphoria results. So most kids are going to just grow out of it. And I've talked to a doctor about that. I think his name's Dr. John Whitehall. He's an Australian pediatrician and he has that experience is that a lot of the kids just grow out of it. They just, they just grow out of it as long as, as, long as they just continue just to be treated just as they're meant to be treated for their gender and, and, none, of the, and none of these drugs and none of these other things and they'll grow out of it. But, but since two, um, 2012, all of a sudden, we're starting to see this, instead of this early childhood, we're seeing this late onset gender dysphoria as well. And we wonder where that's coming from, conditioning. 
I'll show you this thing called Gender Unicorn. I don't know if this is in Australian schools or something, but something similar I know is in Australian schools is this teaching and this understanding. So I just want to show you, this is, um, I'm pretty sure this is what they're using in America and a few other places, um, is or at least they were, and then they just constantly change it when people find out and expose this stuff so then they can rework it and give the same information in a different way so you think it's not happening. But this is how they want to explain it to children. The gender unicorn. You've got your gender identity. Then you've got your gender expression. Then you've got your sex assigned at birth. Then you have who you're physically attracted to and who you're emotionally attracted to. Do you see what they're trying to do here? They're trying to fragment children into different parts. They're trying to detach them and separate themselves from their soul and their mind and their body and everything, their emotions, everything. They're trying to disconnect and confuse them. You You actually need all of those things together together to to work work out who you are. They They talk about this. I listened to um, some amazing um, psychologists like Dr. Caroline Leaf. And, and she, she talks, talks about, about this is about often, often um, and, and another doctor whose name escapes me that she, she works with. And, and they, they talk about this all the time when they're just talking about mental health disorders. Is it one of the, the first things that they ask their, their, their clients when they come to them about feeling depressed and stuff is, okay, tell me about your health. Tell me about, do you go out in the sun? How do you eat? Tell me about your sleep routine. You need more than just what's going on up here. You need everything in the circumstances around your life you know, to to work work out. And they're they're trying trying to detach all of these things and separate them as if they are separate things. But they're actually all come one together. We are one person. The separation of body from mind, personality and soul is fragmenting individuals and detaching them from their identity. So we look up the dictionary. Thank goodness the dictionary actually still has the right definition. But if you look up woman in the dictionary, it actually says an adult female human being. Female is a biological term. Man, an adult male human being, a biological term. So men and women are gendered terms, are biological terms. Sorry, female, male and female are biological terms. Men and women are gendered terms. So sex and gender are actually synonymous, even though they're trying to separate. Say, if you feel like you're a woman, you're a woman. But no, a woman is an adult female human being. It's a, bi- it's a description of a biological reality. It's not a separate thing. And what's interesting is when you ask that question of what is a woman, which they've been asking a lot lately, is people just say whatever if you feel like one. But you can't just feel like one. If you don't have the biological reality, then how do you know what it feels like to be a woman? Because a woman is an adult female human being. So without the biology, you don't actually have the feeling. And And so so what is that feeling that you're feeling? It's just confusion about your body. It's just just feeling discomfort in your actual body and your biology and and your unwillingness to accept it. And And I have great compassion for people like that because I know there's many reasons, which I'll talk about in a moment. But I just want to say what the Bible has to say. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, Genesis 1 verse 27 to 28, it says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. 
So these are just a few scriptures. There's a lot in the Bible that I could unpack, but I just wanted to give you a quick overview of this information. So the main points that the Bible talks about is that God created two sects, male and female. Male and female. Two sexually different beings. How do we know this? Because the Bible talks about the two coming together to become one flesh, being fruitful and multiplying. You can't be fruitful and multiply unless you have two sexually different beings come together. We know that. The sperm has to meet the egg. You can't have two of the same. So, so male and female are clearly two sexually different beings. They have two different roles pertaining to their sex. So a husband is assigned to the male sex. A wife is assigned to the female sex. And if a man is to be joined to another human, it is that of the female biological sex known as woman. God is clear in an age, even where the dresses were very similar. So back in the day, I remember the whole Harry Styles wearing a dress saga. People were trying to be like, well, Jesus wore a dress. Um, The trend of the day, it was not an issue with what the actual clothing was. It was an issue of what is the cultural context for that clothing. So we know that Jesus wearing a tunic and having having all all the the women women with the same same, type of clothing was part of the culture. culture. They didn't have pants like we did back back then. That was part of the culture, but we know in our culture, if a man wears a dress, that that is a symbol of being a female. It's It's the the cultural cultural context. A man can wear a kilt in Scotland and be super manly, but if he wears a skirt here, then he is feminine. He is a woman. So this is the difference. It's the cultural context. But even then, the Bible says for them not to wear the opposite gender's clothing. So there was distinct things that they wore because it was about being distinct and being separate, that there was a way for a woman to be and a way for a man to be. There was a way for a female to dress and a way for a man to dress. They were not meant to blur the lines between the two. God makes it clear. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the church of the saints. We know that God did not want to confuse people. This whole, I've got the wrong brain in the wrong, in, in my body, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. No, no, no. God does not want to confuse you. God did not design to confuse you. He gave you biological reality to help you understand part of who you are. So, and a great quote that we heard from yesterday um, from a former trans woman, he said, it's the mind that has diverted from biological reality and it's the mind that needs healing, but the body doesn't need healing because it's not sick. This is the problem with the DSM-5 is that it's saying because your mind is sick, because your mind is is struggling, because your mind is thinking thoughts that don't associate with your body, instead of trying to align your mind with your body and try and fix that, like we would do with most other psychological conditions, let's think about anorexia, for example. That's a serious body dysphoria-like situation. We don't go, oh yeah, absolutely, you are fat. You should stop eating. No, we go, that person is sick. We go, that person needs help with their mind because their mind is not matching the reality of their body and they're going to hurt themselves. And that's the same thing. We shouldn't look at these people and go, oh, okay, well, let's just change your entire body. Let's just cut off healthy body parts and, and try and conform you to what your mind says. No, we need to actually help them to renew their minds to align with their body. In Luke 5, verse 31 to 32, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we need to help these people. They need Jesus desperately. They need a physician. They need God to help heal their minds. 
just, just like, like we, we all do, do really. When, when it comes to sin in our life, there's other things you're going to be struggling with, that you need Jesus, the great physician, to come and heal your mind and renew your mind. And this is exactly the same. We do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need Jesus to come and renew our mind and we need to help others do the same. Do not fall into that trap of affirming people in a lie. And woe to those who do that and have to stand before God and, and, and give a testament of that. So why does this all matter? Well, the first thing is because it causes great harm. It causes great harm to people. We should really care about that. We should really, really, really care about that. I really, really care about this community. And I've met so many young people, so many young people, especially teenage girls who identify in this way. And it breaks my heart. And I'm so thankful that most of them have only socially transitioned, but I know some that are currently on the path that are at the point of chest binding, at the point of seeing people to get hormones. I've had a young girl that we worked with for many years and we prayed with her and we speak with her and we kept speaking the truth to her and we were able to see her come back down from that and, and, and detransition socially. And she was at the point of about to go into the surgeries and we were able to bring her back from that. And that was just the greatest answer to prayer from God ever. But we cannot give up on these people because... They're really, really hurting. And I could testify to that for every young person that I've met. I'm going to get ahead of my notes. Dang, I'll pause that for a second. But <laughs> this is what Abigail Shry talks about the statistics, that this generation, and this is why we're seeing an explosion, this generation reports the greatest loneliness in, than any other generation. An average of one hour less face-to-face -face interaction per day. Our young people do not see each other face-to-face. -face. They just text each other. They don't have that communication. Even when I was a kid and phones were just coming out, we just used to walk to our friends' houses all the time, catch the bus. We were never on our devices. We were never on our phones. And also we had like 30 minutes screen time a day kind of thing on the computer, the shared family computer in the middle of the room. So we didn't really have to worry too much about that. But these kids, they carry this thing in their pocket all day and they go, oh, that's my communication rather than seeing people face to face. No wonder they're so lonely and so broken and looking for identity. There's a mental health crisis, record levels of anxiety and depression like never before. Many of adolescent girls who adopt a transgender identity have never even had a single sexual or romantic experience. So they're making a decision about their life, about who they are before they've even actually experienced life. How crazy is that? In 2018, the UK reported a 4,000% rise over the previous decade in teenage girls seeking gender treatments. It was a shift from majority preschool boys to adolescent girls. 4,400% rise. That is an astronomical number. That is insane. There's currently a court case of a thousand parents that are suing a gender clinic for what they've done to their children. And this is still allowed to go on. It's disturbing. Approximately 50% of children presenting at gender clinics for gender dysphoria have some form of social or mental disorder, including autism, Asperger's, and, and the other 50% are overwhelmingly victims of child abuse. Studies show that 60% of female to male transsexuals suffered from some form of childhood abuse, 31% sexual abuse, 29% emotional abuse, 38% physical abuse. Jen Smith, a transgender woman advocating against child gender transition, uncovered research showing that one in 200 kids identify as transgender, but one in 10 foster kids identify as transgender. 
Dr. John K. Euler recognised that many of these children were seeing gender therapists who were ignoring the obvious and key signs you are trained to look for as a psychologist, signs of abuse, mental health disorders. And instead of helping these children through their trauma, they affirmed them in their dysphoria, prescribing drugs, treatment, sending them on a path towards irreversible surgeries and further lifelong trauma. It is disturbing. The common themes... And And I I know from from personal personal experience, from every testimony that I've listened to and from all the research that I've looked into is that common themes are autism, mental health disorders of depression and anxiety and childhood abuse. Those are the top three reasons why these people are going down that path. But what happens to these kids? What happens to these kids? People go, oh, that's because you're in the wrong body while you're suffering. I'm not even a professional and I remember talking to one of these young girls and the first conversation I had with her, I looked her in the eyes and I said, do you think the reason why, she told me a story, I said, do you think the reason why you feel uncomfortable in your body is because of what happened to you in your body? She looked at me and she nodded and she said, yes. I'm like, well, that's not what your therapist said to you. The first appointment with your therapist, they put drugs in your arm to try and, you know, oh my goodness, to stop her cycle. And I'm like, this is insane. You know, this is absolutely insane. It is, it is absolute malpractice. They're causing physical harm through puberty blockers, blockers, which they say are reversible, but they actually do a lot of damage to kids and they can even cause osteoporosis in children. Hormone therapy, which again does irreversible damage. You can come off of the hormones, but you'll still be left with the after effects. Like deep, for females, it can be like deep voices. Some, a lot of women have to get hysterectomies because it causes cancer, the overdose of testosterone um, uh, and body mutilation, all these kind of things that happen later on. It's just insane. Oh, yeah, the deep voices, the facial hair, all these kind of things. It's just insane. So it causes physical harm, psychological harm of social conditioning. Once you start socially conditioning kids, once you start socially transitioning them, it says it predicts outcomes of them actually going all the way to the end. And it causes relationship breakdowns. It causes them psychological harm is that they don't actually achieve the desired outcome that they want. Not one young person I know that has transitioned in any form has ever been happy. Not one story I've heard of people that has ever been happy with what's happened to them. It did not achieve what they wanted it to achieve. And spiritual harm detaches them from the self and the way that they were created. The second issue, which is where we come back to John Money and, and Alfred Kinsey is consent. This is something we should be very, very, very concerned about because consent training has just gone into Australian schools as compulsory. And it was under the guise of being something that is good. But what are we doing? We're taking away all moral fabric, moral fabric, ah, can't speak, of what we actually deemed was good and healthy relationships. And we're just saying consent is the only standard. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to change consent. So So what what can a child not do currently? They can't participate in sexual conduct under the age of 17 years. They can't get married. They can't get a tattoo. They can't be served alcohol. They can't consent to medical treatment or medication. They can't get a piercing if they're under 16 years old even. They can't enter into a contract and so many more things. But we see this was even just in 2018 that a child was able to transition through hormones, through social transition and with the permission of their parents, they didn't even have to go through court. They were able to be granted um, the ability to actually have the full surgery um, at like six, I think it was 15 or 16 years old. Unbelievable. And what they want to do is they want to increase those rights for children and they call them mature minors to be able to make these decisions for themselves. I know kids that are in school today, their parents don't even know, but they go to school and they go to school under a different name. 
They go, to a school, they go to school under a different name. They use the opposite gender bathrooms. They get to live this whole reality with their uniform, everything. And the parents don't even know about it half the time. There's, 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 there's even stories in other states where parents, um, kids have been taken away from their parents because they choose, to, choose not to affirm them in their gender. And schools are able to help children go and get hormone therapy and treatment without telling the parents. That this is how insane it is. They're trying to erode parents' rights, destroy the family unit, remove age of consent, sterilise children, make lifelong pharmaceutical patients and sexualise children. So, sorry, we're coming to the end. Apologise. This is me trying to condense it for you. But what do we do about it? Speak up. That is the most important thing you can do is to speak up and to say something. Your voice matters and it feels like a drop in a bucket sometimes, but every drop in the bucket counts. You need to speak up. In Proverbs 31 verse 8 to 9, it says, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who is more needy in this situation than young children then children who have no say, who do not understand, who think they know themselves and they don't, who are being exploited. You see that all over the media that children are being exploited for the monetary gain of their parents by celebrating them. Oh, my kid's trans. And they're making money off their child. Children are being exploited. Children are being abused. We need to open our mouth for them. They do not know who they are and we need to show them who they are. Proverbs 3 verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in, your power, in the power of your hand to do so. If we have the means to stand up and to speak up and to do something, then we need to do it. Then we actually need to do it. And in Esther 4 verse 13 to 14, is one of my favourite scriptures of all time is when Esther, Queen Esther is faced with a situation as if she stands up and says something to the king, then she could potentially have her head cut off. The stakes are high with these situations. People who stand up against this get doxxed, get abused. They get all kinds of, they get their names slandered in the media. People lose jobs over this. I'm not telling you it's easy to stand up against these ideologies and these things. And like when Esther had to come before the King, she could lose her life. But I love what her cousin says to her. He's like, I'm not letting you get out of this. He says, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the King's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the Kingdom for such a time as this. We are called, we are called to stand up. We are called to speak up. Yeah, look, someone else could do it. But what's gonna happen to your generation? What's going to happen to the kids in your life? What's going to happen to the friends in your life? This happens to adults as well. I have focused a lot on the children because that's the predominant age group being targeted. What's going to happen to all these people in your life if you don't stand up and speak up and say something? And the last thing is to give hope. We have the hope of Jesus in our life and that every person needs to hear. Every person, whatever their you know, whatever the letter that they want to pick for them or whether they don't have a letter, you know, they need the hope of Jesus. 
And we know that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All things have become new. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone, LGBT, HIJK, LMNP, anyone, whether you're called a cisgender, whether you're straight, whatever it is, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So it doesn't matter where they've come from, what they've done, what they've been through, they can be a new creation. That is the hope that every person on this earth has is that even if their body is destroyed now, that one day they'll have a new body. One day they'll have a new life. That Jesus is gonna resurrect us. You know, He's changing the inside of us. He's making us a new creation. He's making us new and He's reconciling our relationship to the Father. And when our relationship with the Father is reconciled, then we know who we are. We find our identity in Him and Him alone. And this is the hope that we have and the hope that we can give to others. So I'm sorry that it's been so long. There's so much to cover and there's still so much. But I thank you for listening. And I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just thank you right now that you're here in this place. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your great love that you have for every single one of us, for every person. And we just pray, Lord, right now, Lord, for every believer in this room, God, that you would put a burden on our hearts for those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who have been caught up in this ideology, those who have been having their lives destroyed. God, we pray you would burden our hearts for them. God, that you would call us to, to stand up and to speak up, that you'll give us wisdom. God, that you'll give us grace to be able to do these things. And Lord, to stand up for this marginalised group of people, God, and to protect them. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you have called us for such a time as this. And Lord, that you would empower and strengthen your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I just want to ask while we're here in this moment, maybe there's some of you here in this place today that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I know that was a bit of a crazy talk, but maybe you're like, hey, I actually want to know this Jesus. I want to have this new life. I want to be that new creation that you're talking about. If that's you today and you want to have a relationship with Jesus, I just encourage you to put your hand up in this place and I'd love to pray with you. Just while every eye is closed. Awesome, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Beautiful. All right, we're just going to pray together, church. So I just encourage you um, just to pray along with me, just to support this person. And if you didn't raise your hand, but you still wanted to pray that prayer, that God still hears you, so just pray it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me so much that you gave your life for me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again to give me eternal life. I ask you today to come into my life, to be my Lord, which means I'll follow you, and to be my Saviour, which means I'm set free. I thank you, Jesus, that today I am.